are listening to a Commonwealth Bank of Australia Global Economic and Markets Research Podcast. This podcast provides general market-related information and is not intended to be an investment research report. The information contained in this podcast is based on previously published material, and before listening, you're advised to read the full Global Economic and Markets Research Disclaimers, which can be found at combankresearch.com.au. Welcome to the Global Economic and Markets Research Podcast. My name is Belinda Allen and I'm a Senior Economist here at ComBank and joining me today is our Agricultural Strategist, Tobin Gorey. Tobin, good to have you on. Hi Belinda, good to be back with you again. Now, you and I normally have a quarterly chat about what is happening in the agricultural space, which I always enjoy because I feel it gives us a bit of a break from talking about covid Yeah, well, yeah. And today is no different because we're going to delve into a thematic that's been around for quite some time now in the agricultural space, but you're re-looking at it and kind of looking at how this thematic's been playing out, how it's still going to play out, and that's the more and better food thematic. Can you give our listeners maybe just a recap on on what that is? Right, sure. The... I guess what, this has been a, a bit of mainstay of the optimism about um, you know, expanding agriculture and in, in Australia and around the world even. You know, this is a very large number of people out there in the world. Some of these economies have grown very, very quickly and so they're now at higher income. And you know, as they get to higher income, they spend, you know, they spend get more food and better food. In this case, generally means a lot more, a lot more meat and dairy, mm. uh, depending on cultural preferences, obviously. And and I guess it, it is a it's a it's an opportunity in one sense because there'll be a lot more consumers, but it's also a potential disruptor because it's um, a very large scale thing, and it happens quickly. So, you know, the scramble to, to meet that demand um, could be eventful. So today we're going to dive into one of the drivers of the more and better food thematic, which is growing incomes in the world economy. So as you said, this thematic has been around for many, many years. You said you first first wrote about this topic back in 2004, but it was obviously part of the discussion earlier than that. So what you've done is you've looked at income data by country in a number of different groups of economies around the world. So how have you broken up the data? Well, what we've done is to... They've taken some um, data from the IMF, income data, specifically GDP per capita, for those who care. Mm-hmm. We've broken it up into, into four groups. Um, you know, just to set the boundaries first, um, there's income, there's a high income group, um, and that is, and these are primarily the advanced economies who are already consuming, you know, at quite high income, mm-hmm. level, what, what quite high income people do anyway. And then there's uh, a set, uh, that's um, is low income levels, and that group's kind of defined as those economies in question would have to grow at rates that that are just highly unlikely. So the chance of them getting into or getting close to that high income group is very very low if you look a couple of decades ahead. But the middle group's the interesting part, though. You know, it, it's in between those levels, and because you know potentially consumers in those countries over the next decade or two. Um, their incomes may grow enough that they will become high-income consumers by today's standards. And that's, that's obviously of interest to, to uh, all businesses. 
But you know, for agriculture in particular, it's about um, you know, people want more food. Um, mm. That usually gets resolved. The, the lower part of that distribution is the better food where people can afford um, more meat, more dairy in particular, or you know, whatever the equivalent is culturally, locally. And, and, and what that really is, 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 in a sense, is that people uh, at higher incomes can afford to pay for more value added to their food. Um, and so it's that group we're sort of we're, we're interested in. There's a very large number of people in that group. Mm. Um, yeah, that's kind of like, yeah, today, roughly now, in that high income group, there's about a billion people, rough, yeah. rough terms. The, the emerging group has 3.8 billion people in it, yeah. which is much, much larger now. Obviously, India and China are about 1.4 billion each, so yeah. they're a big part of that. But there's still another billion people in other nations who are uh, on that path from moving from, moving from low, transitioning through to high income. So that's where the opportunity is. So what you have also done in your analysis is to look at how GDP per person or income levels have grown in those selected economies really over the last 40 years. So what are some of the standouts amongst those countries and ones we should be watching? Yeah, there's been some amazing stories over that time. So uh, what we met discussing there is uh, Korea and Taiwan, mm. um, you know, two, of the, two of the four original Asian targets. Um, back in 1980, uh, they were you know, pretty close to low-income nations globally. And over that 40-year period, they've become high-income nations, which is just a, an amazing transformation. Um, I think uh, and, and China is also uh, doing that as well. Um, in some sense, it's a more amazing transformation because it started at a very low level of income. So we go back to 1980 where that was. And this is kind of before you know, the reforms that have made China's, China's economy what it is today, were implemented. And so it was, it was actually quite a poor nation at that time. And so you know, now they're, they're a middle-income nation, um, but to make that progress in that time, is, is it's amazing anyway that there's not really been any large nations that have done it at that, that speed before. And, and also just to do it in such a large country. You know, there can be strategies around quite small countries where you can lift GDP pretty quickly by doing some special things, but it's not possible in a large nation like that. And so it, it, it really is quite a phenomenal story. I mean, there's the other end of the spectrum too, yeah. is I, I guess the, the warning the warning there is that, that you know, there's nothing, there's nothing uh, certain about this to happen. It doesn't have to happen. It's not, you know... Uh, there's no guarantees income yeah. is going to rise. That's right. You've got to get the right policies mm. in place. So... I think the cautionary tale we, we mentioned there is Venezuela, mm. where Venezuela in 1980 was almost a high-income country. Um, as of now, it's not far off being a low-income country, so it's gone back. We look at these things and, and, and we think, okay, well, we're going to track these things going forward. Uh, but, um, but we just the, 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 the warning there is just because it has happened, uh, it doesn't mean it will happen. Yeah, you need the right policy mix, really. Certainly do. That's right. Now, it's not just a China story, is it? Like often a lot of these discussions around income growth or the lifting demand for food is really just centred on China. It's obviously very large, as you say, the population size is mm. just enormous by itself. And we have seen such a rapid development in the Chinese economy over the last few decades. But it's it's beyond that, isn't it? Yeah, there's still there's a lot of people in India about the same number mm. of people. Their growth hasn't been as fast. They're, they're 
the income is lower, but the potential is still there. But also, uh, there is about a billion people in, in that emerging group outside of India, India and China. So you correctly say it's not the entirety of it. This other emerging consumer space, which you talked about, has close to a billion people and kind of diving into that on detail, it's actually quite geographically concentrated. So a lot still is in Asia, but there's also a large block in Eastern Europe. So some of the countries, I mean, we don't talk about it. It could be Australia's perspective given China is so on the front of mind here. You know, it's our largest trading partner, so maybe we're overly focused on that. But there's just such a breadth out there of the emerging consumer space. What is happening in terms of income growth in those countries and what are some of the countries just out of interest okay so you've got a range of obviously we don't china and india but there's still countries like vietnam indonesia uh some of the Asian european countries at much higher income levels already so some of their transition has been done but still a bit to go so they've got the baltic states like latvia uh, lithuania estonia there is other nations around thailand's another one as well mm. they add up to quite large numbers of people we have a we have a fast track group Mm. in those emerging nations and we define them as being they're growing fast enough that they'll get most of the way to what is defined as high income today in real terms. Mm. So over that 20 years they have, they have growth rates that are sufficient to be make a, a large part of that transition to becoming consumers like rich country ones are now. And then there's a slow track group too that probably won't reach that quite that level. The thing we haven't really explored here with these numbers is so looking at average income, um, the thing we haven't looked at here yet, yet we will do in subsequent notes, is to look at income distribution as well. Because it matters like how many people reach particular levels yeah. at particular times and, and, and how that affects their consumption pattern. Even if some of these markets are not easily accessible by Australia, just because they're further away and, and then other, other nations might fill the demand there and so on, it is a, it's a global scale issue for every consumer that's eating more high, higher valuated food in uh, these emerging nations, it's displacing someone else from mm. them as well. So, um, so even if they're far away, so quite possibly we probably won't supply um, a lot of fresh veg to Lithuania. They'll be taking stuff off the market from Africa or things like that, which means that they can't sell to other consumers who are closer to us. So there is a direct one there where we have a trade relationship with them. There's also this global scale uh, displacement as well. So that's what has happened over the past 40 years. We also care and want to understand what the opportunity is over coming years as well. So one of the themes that you've looked at and tried to put some numbers around is how many consumers are likely to make their transition to high income and put some metrics around that. Yes, what we've we've done in, in in this note is to identify the countries where the income is growing fast enough to get the consumers or many consumers in those nations up to advanced economy or high-income economy consumption patterns. And we've kind of extrapolated that forward. Now, we try to be conservative with it because we won't assume they have the same growth rate they do mm. you know, for the next 20 years than they've had for the previous 20 years. That's, that's often a bit difficult for a whole array of reasons. So what we've done is we, we've, we've extrapolated forward at about, at about either three quarters of or half of their historic growth rate over the over 20 years to 2019 and down that forward. So, and so what we're getting out of that is, is we can see countries are moving into those upper income bands and it does include China 
um, India to a lesser extent, just because it's got less, um, it has had, had less growth. But there, were, there, there is definitely a large number of people in there who get there. And that is from that, that fast track group mostly. Some of the slow track group get closer as well, just because they start at higher income levels. So their contribution is not zero, but it's not smaller, obviously, just because, the, the, just by definition. What we're checking here for is, is it still true that there's a large number of consume, people in the world who are wanting to consume more and particularly better food uh, going forward? So, and, and we kind of confirm that w- w- with these numbers. There are a large number of consumers who have stepped up to that, to that higher income consumption level, but the, the narrative we've had here with uh, more and better food is most of that is still to happen. Right. So the transition is, is, is looking to happen over the next, over the next 20 years. So, and so there's kind of a, this is the thing about, I was talking, this creates a bulge of consumption because you know, right now we're, we're supplying that more higher valuated food to a billion people. If you want to add 200% of that over the time, so say 2 billion of those 3.8 billion reach those levels, that's a lot of new consumers. So it's still, it's, it's still ahead of us. So, you know, and as I say, that creates a bulge and a challenge anyway. You know, for the whole whole chain of agriculture, agribusiness, and the food processing business underneath that. And the thing we're looking forward to here, looking forward here is is we want to work out the timing of when that is as well. Mm. And that'll be in subsequent steps when we look at income distribution and look at consumption patterns. And in doing so, with that, we can see where we can see where this bulge is. I don't say that bulge may be a disruptor in the sense that it's actually forcing rapid expansion. And so this can include stuff like just periods of high prices to pay for investment uh, and things like that into building that supply chain. Depending on how quickly it happens, it can be a very large disruptor. So I, I don't think it's getting to the stage where we're actually short of food or anything like that, but it will it will stress the system at some point. And you know we may even be even approaching one of those periods now um, because we think capacity use in agriculture, mm. on the crop side of it at least, is quite high. So it is due another phase of expansion. And this is what we're talking about here with income, uh, and that is the the driver uh, behind that. I'm looking forward to hearing the next few pieces of the puzzle, Tobin, in terms of what's happening in population and, and income distribution. And I know you've also spent a bit of time recently as well on that crop usage. So it's going to be an interesting dynamic to keep on top of. Uh, so thanks very much for joining today. Thanks for having me along, Linda. Now, you can read Tobin Gorey's note, uh, which includes the discussion on more and better food, the income dimension, in his quarterly AgQ report, which was published on the 30th of September 2021 on combankresearch.com.au.